You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. My name is Pastor Barry, and I have the honor of uh, serving as one of the elders here. And uh, I will I'll tell you if, you, if you grabbed your bulletin this morning, and we're excited to see that, uh, expecting to see Jeff Metters preaching on Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Clearly, I am not Jeff Metters, nor will I be preaching on Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Um, yeah, some of you may know, I'm actually up here in kind of somewhat adverse um, circumstances. We got a, Jeff and Natalie received a call on uh, Thursday night that Natalie's grandmother, someone who's very dear to her, was really more like a mother figure to her, um, passed away suddenly on Thursday night. And um, so they woke up and what to do, and uh, essentially we got a text and said, you know, hey, Natalie's grandmother's passed away, we're, we are headed to Birmingham, Barry, you're up, see you guys, and, <laughs> and that was, Metters out, and, uh, and so, so here we go, um, you guys know that, I mean, this is not, I, I'm a lay elder, so, you know, usually when I get asked to preach, I, I usually get about a 30-day warning, <laughs> Not a 30-hour warning. And I am by nature kind of an over-preparer. So, uh, so I, as a, I think I was, uh, I think it was, it was Joey was, I was talking with Texas. He was asking, inviting me to dinner last night. I said, man, I'd love to do it. But I, I said, I, I, I mean, I am deep in preparation here. I said, I, said, yeah, I don't know, this is, tomorrow will either be a miracle or a train wreck. And um, <laughs> um, either one will be kind of interesting. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. So, uh, Today, I want, what I do want to look at, I want to look at the book of 1 John. I, I love this book, and um, I want to, we're going to look at, at chapter 1 today. So um, if you're able, uh, open, if you have a Bible, open it to, to the book of 1 John. It's, it's very, almost at the very end of the Bible, right before Revelation. Uh, the, the, the Johns are the last books before, the, before Revelation. And today, we're going to be looking at, at, the, at chapter 1. There's 10, in 10 verses in chapter 1. And um, we're gonna, that's where we're going to put our focus today. So if you're able, uh, go ahead and stand up as we always do. And uh, let's, let's read the word of God. 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Pray with me. Father, we, we come to you this morning and, and, and Father, we lift up Jeff and Natalie and their family. Um, we know that Nan was a, was a, a treasured and dear, and dear family member to, to Natalie and her sisters and her mom. And, and um, would you be with them even now as they, as, as they are in this time of, of grieving, of celebrating the treasure that was, that was Nan? And, um, and be, just be with them. Be with their family as they grieve and as they mourn and as they celebrate the life of, of this dear family member. Father, be with us today. Be with me as I, as I proclaim your word. Um, Father, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So, when I started to dig into this, and I... Uh, I never, I really, I'll be honest with you, I didn't intend this to be like, a, it wasn't because I thought, hey, this would be a great first, first Sunday of the New Year kind of a message. Um, but ironically, as I got into it, it was kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of actually works out, it kind of fits. Um, and I thought about it because, you know, throughout this week, I don't know about you, but for, for most of us, we've probably said or heard the phrase, Happy New Year, many, many times, right? That's kind of what we say this, this, this week. And it's kind of, I think in some ways, it's kind of like, it's kind of just something we say that probably has very little more meaning than saying hi. It's kind of something you fill the gap with, right? But yet there is meaning to it. We say it and there's, there, there is a hope in there, right? We begin the year and everyone, this is a time of hope, right? Um, we, it's a new, it's a fresh new start and we have these goals, we have anticipations and we have, we have hopes for the year. And our greatest hope is to be happy. We all want to be happy, Everything we do, we design around our happiness. And we want other people happy. So we say, Happy New Year. I want, and, and I think really what we mean by this is that, hey, I want you, I hope that this year, I hope this year that you have, you have great health, that you don't have any illnesses, that, that death doesn't come anywhere near your family. I hope that there's no hurricanes or, or any natural disasters that, that, that upsets your life. I hope your job goes well. I hope your, your relationships are, are fulfilling. Hope that life is, treats you well and, and that you have a happy year. But of course, that's typically not the world we live in, is it? Um, I mean, as we see just right now, as, 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 you know, the matters are, are right now already mourning the loss of a family member. Death has already visited their family. My, my daughter, my youngest daughter came to me and she was like, has a friend that she w- went to school with who was, um, she went to a funeral yesterday. This friend was within, I think within two hours of the new year, was killed in a car accident. 20 years old. Um, if, you, if you have people on the, west, on the East Coast, you know, they had to deal with a bomb cyclone. <laughs> I think it used to be called a Nor'easter, didn't it? But I guess people don't watch news enough. That doesn't, that doesn't terrify people enough, so we have to change it to a bomb cyclone because that'll, that'll scare everybody, doesn't it? I don't think it's a real thing. Is, it, is Jeff Manna here? I don't get it. 
So the reality is all of these things, well, within the first week, all of these things are, are happening. We've got world leaders that are, that are taunting each other with nukes. It's a scary, frightening world, and, and it's, it's, happiness is hard to come by. What we learn is that we, we, as a general, as, as American people, it's surprising for maybe the most affluent, successful, most powerful nation to ever exist. We are not a happy people. Thanks to the, the wonders of the internet, I was able to do about a you know, 15 minute research on, on happiness. And here's what I, here's some of the things I dug up. And some of the surveys said that only, one survey said that they, they did a survey and only 33% of people surveyed claim to be happy. There's a, I don't know how many people, have anybody ever heard of the World Happiness Report? It exists. There's really, I guess this thing is out there and it's been out there for many years where every year they, they survey different companies. They have some kind of a metrics for determining the happiness of a, of a nation. And in the 2017 World Happiness Report, the U.S. ranked 19th out of 34 countries that were surveyed. When they first started it 20, 30 years ago, we were third. And every year we kind of keep losing ground. One survey said that over half of Americans claim to be unhappy at work. One in six Americans are currently on some type of psychiatric drug, mostly antidepressants. That's a 65% increase in the last 15 years. In this country alone, last year, there were 876,000 divorces. Only 17 people say they are content with their partner, and six out of 10 marriages say they are unhappy in their marriage. There were 45,000 suicides last year in America. That's 123 a day. They say for every suicide that is, a, that, is a, that is succeeded, there's 25 attempted. You do the math, that's what I did the math. That's well over a million attempted suicides every year. We are not a happy people and we get less happy every year. But fortunately for us, we don't have to follow the trend. Amen. We have hope. We, we, have, a, we have a God and we have a, we have a scripture that gives us hope that we can truly have joy, that we can be happy. And I think the text, our text today gives us a recipe to not be part of those statistics. And that's what I want to explore with you today. So as I, as I got into this, you know, kind of my way of, of kind of doing uh, sermon prep is just to dig in and start asking questions. You read the passage, and I'm like, oh, well, hmm, what does that mean? And, and you start researching and studying and connecting the dots and, and it be, you just start digging into it. So the first thing I usually try to ask is, what is the, what is the main point? What is, what, is, what is the epicenter of this passage? What is, he, what is he really trying to say? Well, in this passage, fortunately, it's pretty easy because it's, it, it, he doesn't, it's pretty straightforward. In verse five, it says, this message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Like, all right, there's the message. That's the point. 
I'm not sure I totally get it right now. I get it. You got his light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. But it's like, that's the key point. So then the next question would, 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 would naturally be, why is he telling us this? What, what's the, what is so important? What is his purpose for telling us this? Well, again, it's, it wasn't hard to, to find that because in right, just right above that in verse 3 and 4, he pretty clearly tells us why he's telling us this. We see really two reasons. Verse 3, it says, What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's number one, he's saying, we, we, we've, what we've seen and heard, this message, we're declaring to you. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. And then the second reason we see in verse two, verse four, I mean, it says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now you may note in your, in your Bible, as is in mine, there's a little, there's a little letter or, or note by that. And you'll see that usually typically the note may say that says our may be substituted for your. Some translations use it, translate it as your. Either, either they're kind of interchangeable. Our joy is your joy. I like the uh, um, Andrew Peterson in the, in the message. He kind of paraphrases it like this. He says, he takes this second, he says, we saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing this is simple. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. So we see all of a sudden there's this, there's this attitude of happiness. There's a joy that, that the apostle John has and he's pretty contagious about it. He's pretty passionate about it. He says, here's this message I want to give you because this is the source of our joy and I want it to be the source of your joy too. Like, all right, I'm, I'm in. But the first question I had is, okay, I, I get that you, this, you have this joy and there's fellowship, but how does that connect to verse five? God is light. Somehow there's a connection between this fellowship that he has, that they have with God, and this, and this fellowship, that this joy that he wants us to have, and it's connected to the fact that this message that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. Well, that, I wasn't connecting them. So you do more research. And it led me first, I said, well, we, we see one thing that he's, what, what is he doing? Is he, he seems to be really important to him to, to justify his credibility. Why he's, why this message is credible and why he's a credible messenger. Some of you know that uh, my day job, I'm a, I'm a videographer and I, I uh, a lot of it, I film, I film depositions, I film legal Things and, and many times the people I film are, are expert witnesses, people who are hired to bring in to, to justify why their side is right. And of course, the first thing attorneys do, the big part of dealing with an, with an expert is you have to find out why they're an expert. And if you're if if it's, if it's your expert, then you want to question him to prove that he's man. This guy is brilliant. He is he knows everything about this subject. He is the expert of experts. And if you're on the other side, your your job is to show this guy is a blooming idiot and doesn't know anything. And what we have here is, is John saying, hey, this is why this message is credible. 
What does he say? There's several things he says here. It says, what was from the beginning? Now he, he connects this automatically. He jumps right in and says, hey, I want you to know this. This message came from what was from the beginning. Now we know if you, if you think like, hey, I've heard this before. Well, you know, there's obviously a connection to the same guy who wrote 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John. And we know how the, the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's starting the book of 1 John the same way. He's saying, in the beginning, there was a God. But here's what we know. He says, it wasn't just this guy. He says, this God, we heard. This God became flesh. He did become flesh. He did dwell among us. And it wasn't in some country, somewhere we, something we heard about. He was our friend. I knew him. I hung out with him. It says, we heard him. We listened to him. I listened to his messages. It says, we've seen him with our eyes. This isn't, this isn't secondhand information. I saw him. I hung out with him. We observed him. We watched him do miracles. We, we watched him heal blind people. We watched him cast out demons. I watched him die. I saw him alive after he died. I touched him with my own hands. He says, I'm credible. I know this guy. And if I could summarize everything, if I, if I could summarize everything I know about, about this God who became flesh, I can summarize it in one statement. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. And if you can comprehend this, then you will share this fellowship that I have with God and the other apostles have with God. And we desperately want you to get this too. And then the next thing I said, well, we're going to dig into some words here. I see, I always, one of the things I always like to look for is repeated words. What are the, we look, what are the things that are, seem to be themes that we've seen that are repeated words? And one of the key words in this passage you'll see is the word fellowship. I see it, there's four times we see the word fellowship in this text. We see it twice in verse three. We see it again in verse six and we see it again in verse seven. So obviously fellowship is something that's, that's really important, but it's not a word that we typically use a lot today. And if not, it's kind of an old timey word. When I, I don't know about you, but when I think of fellowship, most of us think back to our old, our old early Baptist days or whatever, and we think of the fellowship halls, right? Um, fellowship, and what do you do at fellowship halls? You eat. That's about it. I don't know. Like, that's where you get to, everybody gets together and eats. That's what fellows. <laughs> that's right. Which is a good thing. But I'm like, there's got to be, this is more than just a place. This is not just talking about eating. And you see, the, the, the word fellowship here is really comes from the Greek word, which means koinonia. And it's a, it's, it's a very powerful word. Koinonia is, is, a, is used to, to describe a, a very personal relationship a very authentic and transparent relationship between two or more people. Usually these people, this koinonia is a group of people who are, who are joined together by some common purpose or a common mission. This is the koinonia is what we see in, in Acts 2. In verses 44 through 46, it says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. 
They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in a temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is koinonia. This is, this is the fellowship they're talking about. These people had a common bond. They were united in a purpose and a mission. They enjoyed each other. They enjoyed God. I think to a degree, we, we saw this a little bit in the last year as a church, as a community. It, as, as tragic as, as Hurricane Harvey was, I think in, in all of us, it's, there's kind of a weird sense. It's actually, it's, it's one of the, the hardest memories for us last year, but it's also kind of one of the best. I mean, this was a time that, that we came together particularly as, as, as a city, but particularly as, as a church, that virtually every one of us here was, was either out in boats. We were, we were in this room sorting clothes and supplies, or we were out in houses, you know, carrying out wet furniture and mudding houses and taking out drywall. We were tired, we were exhausted, and we were... But, but we came together and there was a unity. There was something special in that. That every day when I came back and I, I never worked so hard or was as dirty or smelly. And yet I was like, this was a good day. And we did it together. There was a, there was a koinonia. There was a purpose. There was a mission. And, it, and the point here is that he, what he's saying is that we have this kind of relationship with God. Our joy comes because we have this intense, amazing relationship with God and with each other, and we want you guys to come in on it. I want your joy to be, I want our joy to be your joy. And the other, the other phrase that you see repeated seems to be a theme in this, in this text is this concept of, of light and darkness. Multiple times we see the words light, and, and darkness, or sometimes it's sin, which is utilized, used in the same way as darkness. And what we see is that in Scripture, is just as in this, is, is clearly a metaphor for something else. It's a metaphor to describe things. We see Scripture uses this metaphor of darkness and light many, many times in Scripture. And what we see is that sometimes it's used um, to describe the difference between life and death. In Matthew 4, 16, it says, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Sometimes this metaphor of good and uh, of light and darkness is used to describe the relationship of good and evil or righteousness and sin. In John 3, 19 through 21, it says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Sometimes it's used to describe a, a, a metaphor for openness and secrecy. Luke 12, 3, there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. 
Therefore, whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So we have life and death, good and evil, openness and secrecy. We also see it sometimes to describe, to describe true and counterfeit. 1 John 1, 6 through 9, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then we compare this in 1 Corinthians 1 where it says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So we see these metaphors throughout scripture. And there's other ones, I, I, could, I could name two or three others. So we get, okay, I get this metaphor of, of light and darkness. We're, we're, we're comparing good and evil, sin and righteousness, openness and secrecy, life and death. But I, now I still haven't connected verse five with verse three and four. But the answer we see really is in verse seven. How, do, how does this joy and this fellowship connect with God being light and, and, and there's absolutely no darkness in him? Well, we see it in verse seven. Verse seven says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I don't know about you, but at first I thought, well, it almost seems like a typo. Because it seems like it should. If I, was, if I was writing, it seems like I would, the natural way to write verse seven would be, if we walk in the light as he, walked, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with God. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says one another. It's not a mistake. And you see, that's, that's one, it's really, it's very intentional that he wrote this because it's actually one of the big themes of the entire book of John. Is he wants to say, go ahead and read the rest of 1 John and you'll see it repeated over and over and over again. He hammers in that you can't love God and hate people. If you have fellowship with people, you will have fellowship with God. And if you have fellowship with God, you have fellowship with each other and you can't separate them. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mince words, does he? For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. A little bit before that in 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death to light, from darkness to light, because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. So he's making a point here. Yes, if, is verse seven, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we will have fellowship. And now we're saying, okay, how do we have this joy, this, this fellowship that I'm talking about? Walk in the light as he is in the light. Okay, it's coming together. 
And then he goes on for the rest of it and he starts like, let me, let me flesh this out for you. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna do two sides of the coin so you, so you know exactly what this looks like. I want you to know exactly what it looks like to be in darkness and I want you to know exactly what it looks like to be in light. And it's a beautiful, this compare and contrast he does. And the first thing he does, we see is he, he tells you, this is a lot of you, the problem is that many of you are living in darkness, but you think you're living in light. You see, many, a lot of the people he was addressing in, in this book were, were people that were known as separatists. And the separatists were ones that they, they would tell you, man, we love God. They love studying the word. They were, they were all about God. But they, this whole Christian community thing, like, you guys are kind of weird. I don't like you. I don't need you. I just need me. It's just, just me and God. That's all I need. Those people don't exist today, do they? <laughs> right? And he goes, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You, you, if, if you love God, you will love people. And he says, so here's three, here's three things. Here's three lies that are out there that I want you to know about because it indicates that you're still in darkness. And in verse six, he says, he gives, you, he gives us the first lie. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. So what he's saying here is these are people who the lie is that sin doesn't matter. They would say, yeah, I, I, I love God, but I, I have these things. And it's okay that I, I do these things that maybe are dishonoring because it's okay. God's not gonna hold it against me. They're just little things. These people, we, we, we minimize sin. We diminish sin. None of us do that, do we? It kind of reminded me of, there's a, <clears throat> there's a commercial out there, and I don't, I don't remember if it's a radio or TV, but somebody I think saw a thing, I think it was called, I think it was for, it was for Devil's River Whiskey. And their tagline is, sin responsibly. <laughs> Clever, but messed up, right? <laughs> but, we, but, but that's our world. That's a lot of people that have an attitude of, I will sin responsibly. We, we, tend to, we, we tend to think of God like this, this kindly little grandfather. You know, that he, he loves us and he accepts all of us. It doesn't matter. We, God just loves all of us regardless of what we do. He knows we mess up. So he's like that, he's like that grandpa who just kind of, you know, tussles you on the head and says, oh, you know, you know those goofy kids. And, and John says, no, that's, that's a lie. You're deceiving yourselves. You can't do that. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't, you, you can't do both. You can't be in a dark room and a lighted room at the same time, right? It's either dark or it's light. And that's why it's so important, I think, that we see in our key verse in chapter five that says, God is light. And he doesn't just say that there is no darkness in him. He says there is absolutely no darkness in him. Not even a little bit. There's not even one shade of gray. And your words have to match your deeds. Some of this I thought of my, some of you guys know, if you know my wife, 
<clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't get approval to say this. So I hope this doesn't go badly for me. <laughs> but if, if, if those of you know my wife, you know there's one, one of the important things you know about her is she, she hates bananas and she hates anything that has nuts on it. She can do it without the nuts, but don't put nuts on it. Now, imagine if, I, if you were to walk in, you know this thing's about her because she's very vocal about this. She hates bananas and she hates anything with nuts. Now, imagine if you walk in one day and, she, and you see her like with this big smile on her face eating a banana split covered in nuts. And you'd be like, what? You can't do that. You, we, we were told all this time. He's like, I, I hate these things. And yet you're sitting here with a grin on your face chowing it down. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. You can't, you can't do both. Lie number two, we see in verse eight. The second lie. Verse eight says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, this is a, this is a variation. This is, this is ones where we say that sin doesn't exist. Not that I can sin, it's okay to sin. One says, first one says, it's okay to sin because God doesn't really hold it accountable. God loves everybody, all dogs go to heaven, right? This one, this one says, there is no sin. We're all, well, I'm okay, you're okay because there's no such thing as sin. Sin is just this, this guilt thing that society uses to try to, try to manipulate people. And as we know, this very lie right here is the one that is absolutely unraveling our society. It is killing us, largely because of the sexual revolution, right? Things that have been, have been dec universally decried as sins from, from throughout human history are now celebrated as virtues. We have parades and holidays. We have singers who say, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Scripture says, no, there is sin. You're lying to yourselves. You're in darkness. You say you, you, you claim to be in light, but you're in darkness. You're stumbling around trying to tell yourself that it's good, and it's not. And then we see the third lie. In verse 10, it says, if we say... We have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now this, this lie is, 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 another, is another variation. This one would say, okay, there is sin, but there ain't no sin on me. Right? It's like, they, wasn't, there, wasn't there like a bug, like a flea collar commercial or something? Like, <laughs> there ain't no bugs on me. There may be bugs on the rest of you bugs, but there ain't no bugs on me, Right? Well, that's, that's, that's the picture here. Like, oh yeah, there's, there, there's sin, but I'm not a sinner. I don't have sin. You know, a sad thing is an illustration that I, that I, I, I thought of when, with this, unfortunately, was, was our president. Back there in, in 2016, I, it reminded me of this, when he was, uh, I think it was, it was before the election, and he was you know, doing a, an interview somewhere, and someone was asking about his faith. I think it was a guy by the name of Frank Lutz, and he asked Trump whether he'd ever ask God for forgiveness for his actions. And, uh, and his, his response was, uh, I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so, he said. I think if I do something wrong, I think I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. No, I don't. That's why we need to pray for our president.
This is the picture of the Pharisee in Luke 18, right? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people, greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. I'm not a sinner. He says, you're lying, you're lying to yourself. And not, you're not just, what does it say? It doesn't say you're, you're lying to yourself. It says you're calling God a liar. You make him a liar. Why? Because scripture doesn't stutter about this, right? The power of Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. So he clearly sets out these three ways that we know that, that, that people lie to ourselves and we deceive ourselves when we think we're in darkness. But he doesn't leave us there, does he? Because he also says, this is what it means to be in light. If you want to have this fellowship that I'm talking about, if you, want to, if you want to do this, this is what you do. Verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do we, what is, what is the opposite of being in darkness? It looks like repentance. Instead of diminishing our sins, instead of hiding our sins, we confess our sins. It's the picture, it's a picture that we see in Luke 18 of the tax collector who's standing far off. It says, he's standing far off. He would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And scripture says, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When God draws us, when, when, when God draws us in the light, two things always happen. We always will see our ugliness. We see our sin in all of its ugliness. And we see our Savior and all of his gloriousness. And the response is always to repent and confess. I like the, the picture of repentance I saw, I heard recently about, we talk about the picture of repentance is, 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 the, is the picture of, we, hopefully not all of us, but probably many of us here have ever been caught in a situation where you walked into the wrong bathroom. Anybody ever done that? I take it by the response. More than one of you have done this, Right? And, and what is this? You all know that, that feeling. You walk in and, and then you have this realization. Oh no. Right? And what's the first thing you want to do? What's the only thing on your mind? How do I get out of here? Without anybody knowing. <laughs> right? That's the picture. There's the picture of repentance. It's, it's suddenly when you become and God brings you into the light and you realize, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? I got to get out of here. And you turn and you run the other direction. That's light. We run from darkness into light. But how do we do that? Because scripture says we don't do it on our own. 
Scripture, scripture says that he made the one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel that, that, we, that we love, that we proclaim week after week after week. We love people because God loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. He came, he died. Why? So that we could be brought from darkness into his light. And in that light, there's this relationship, there's this fellowship that John is so passionate about. But we have to be cleansed from, notice what it, what it says there. And, and we see it in, in uh, verse seven. And we see it in verse nine, that he cleanses us from how much of our unrighteousness? All of it. How does he do it? Verse seven, through the blood of Jesus, his son, who cleanses us from how much of our sin? All of our sin. Why does he have to cleanse us from all of our sin? Verse five, because God is light and him, there is absolutely no darkness. So if we're going to have fellowship with him, then how much darkness can be in us? Absolutely none. And that's why he comes. He cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. As Isaiah says, your sins, though as scarlet, are white as snow. Jesus died to pay the ransom for your sins. But you can't have fellowship with a dead martyr, can you? And that's why Jesus rose from the dead, so that we could have fellowship with him and each other in this life and in all eternity. And that's the joy. That's the joy that the Apostle John is so passionate about in this chapter and throughout this book. And he wants us to share in it. He wants us to have this, this true koinonia fellowship with God and each other. And the life and the joy of confession it comes through confession and repentance. It's not a one-time thing. It's something we do. We do every day. We have a hope. We have a hope. It is, the, it is the anchor of our souls. And it is the path to joy and happiness. The only one. As I close, I want to just read to you um, this a conglomeration of verses and hear this in light of this passage. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. The night is nearly over and the day is near. 
So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. For you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Pray with me. Father, we come to you humbly. We come to you gratefully. Thank you for your word that gives us hope. Thank you that we who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You are that light. And you have made a way that we do not have to spend our lives and our eternity stumbling around in darkness. But you paid the price to draw us out that we may spend our lives here in all eternity enjoying an amazing fellowship with you and those and, and, and the others that you have called. Father, may we never take this for granted. And fathers, those today here that, that have never experienced this fellowship, who are still living in one of the lies that were, that were detailed in this chapter, Father, today, would you reveal to them the light? Would they see their sin and rebellion for what it is? And would you draw them into your light defined by confession and repentance and humble call for mercy? pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.